Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Catherine Haggerty is an artist and curator based in Brooklyn, New York. She received her MFA from Rutgers University in 2011, and she's currently the co-director of Ortega E. Gasset, an artist-run space in Gowanus, Brooklyn. Catherine is the recipient of the ESKFF Emerging Artist Grant and Residency, the DNA Gallery Residency, a Vermont Studio Center Residency, and most recently, the Look E. Listen Residency in Marseille, France. Her work has been reviewed in Hyperallergic and Two Coats of Pain, and exhibited at Leftfield Slow in California, Bridget Meyer Gallery in Pennsylvania, Art on Paper Fair at the Armory Week, Jeffrey Young Gallery in Massachusetts, Design Sublime in Florida, Proto Gallery in New Jersey, and Ortega E. Gasset Projects in New York City. Her curatorial work and writing includes Curating Contemporary, The Curator, Ortega E. Gasset Projects, White Box, and Proto Gallery. Her teaching experience includes Rutgers University, the Abrams Art Center, Studio in a School, the Princeton Day School, Philadelphia Mural Arts, and One River School of Art and Design. I went to Catherine's Gowana studio to talk about her days growing up in New Jersey, her move to New York City, co-running an artist-run gallery, and what she's working on in her paintings now. Here's our conversation. So I feel like we definitely had our share of like Milky Ways and Snickers and stuff like that. Um, Where did you grow up? We grew up in Morristown mostly, Morristown, New Jersey. Yeah, so it's like, you know, it was a really beautiful area to grow up in. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, I feel like I got a lot of good kid experiences biking around and swimming and... Backyard. Backyard. Oh, yeah, my dad built... Um, all of us a uh, tree fort in the backyard that oh, was cool. like the size of the studio like it was big and yeah. you know so we had a lot of like hunting in the forest and um, catching lightning bugs and that kind of thing but you know so it was like kind of a suburban growing up you know yeah and you said you had brothers and or sisters yeah I have a twin sister and then I have four brothers and then an older sister whoa so it was like it's you a big know, family yeah and it just, it's getting even bigger, of course, with nieces and nephews. And oh, yeah. It's, it's all good, you know? That's cool. So the, the peace of the suburbs was, was always greeted with, like, the sort of chaos of nine people in a house, like, yeah. <laughs> trying to survive. But it was, it was good. Now, as a twin, were mm-hmm. you on the older side or the younger side? I'm a minute older than her, but it's via a C-section, so I don't really know if doesn't I'm like count. if it counts. Yeah, right. <laughs> I kind of like to pull the "I'm older" card, but it doesn't always work out very well. But it, we're we're best friends, so it seems like with twins, there's an older personality and there's a younger personality usually. Yeah, right? yeah, I think, and I think there is, just depending on like the mood. But is she an artist? She's not. She's a she's a functional nutritionist, and she's. Uh, 
She's a little more mild than me. I'm a little more outgoing, and she's just very quiet. What's a functional nutritionist? So she works um, for two different companies, but she basically helps people reverse autoimmune diseases and use health and lifestyle to kind of manage and mitigate autoimmune diseases and, you know, stave off potentially worse things. Yeah. Like so cancer. it's almost a medical application yeah. of nutrition. Yeah. So it's really, it's really inspiring. I have to say, I, I learn a lot from her and I... I admire the amount of work she's doing to help people get better. You know, yeah. it's not about like, oh, I make a good protein smoothie and like, let's take a picture of it and put it on social media. She's like, gonna look at someone's blood work and like go in their history and kind of, yeah, see what works for them and like make a kind of like a perfected plan for that person. It's so big, right? It's, like what it's you big. People, I don't, I don't understand how people don't understand like what you put in your body makes such a huge difference. Such a big thing, yeah. I mean, and also, too, it's like, um, speaking of early childhood stuff, the sort of, like, intensity or, like, the potential traumas of childhood, all that stuff, really, there's a lot of research that that, that affects also your health later. Yeah. You know, it's, so it's really nuanced. It's really, it's really interesting. So I'm always kind of in the background, like, absorbing information, but, like, I'm certainly not a pro like yeah. her, so... Yeah, but you're twins, so you're probably know, like unconsciously like absorbing it, yeah. all that. I don't <laughs> like, think... Oh, I'm feeling I need a smoothie right now. I think my interest in her field is much greater than hers and mine. I think that she loves that I'm an artist, uh -huh. and she's very supportive, and will be like, oh, she's great, but uh, you know, she never is like, so why would that painting happen? Yeah, <laughs> like, she's not know, getting into that. She just, she's just like, wow, that's great. Well, I really like it, you know, and I, I get it. But You have to hand it to her. Her field is something that everyone is involved with. Yeah. Like, you don't have to look at paintings. No. You have to eat. Yeah. Yeah, and you have to feel okay, <laughs> yeah. you know. And and it's it's a funny life being an artist and, like, having this sincere belief in its worth. And I, I do believe that it's valuable, of course. I wouldn't do it, but it's funny sometimes. You know, yeah. I'm like, I'm going to go sit alone for 10 hours and make a painting and consider formal elements and history in my life and things and she's gonna go like draw blood work and make sure that someone can sleep well tonight right. and I'm like huh yeah okay. <laughs> well in the creative field too it's painting yeah. is is kind of occupied it's it's a certain territory you know yeah. what I mean whereas like if it's if you were a Hollywood actor that's still not really necessary like no. you don't have to go see movies but it's so important to most people in this country right but painting and or art in general I think is it's kind of a niche thing, I but I feel sad. Like if I don't go see artwork, if I don't go see a show, yeah. after a certain amount of time, I get this weird feeling, mm -hmm. like I'm disconnecting with my culture mm -hmm. button or something. Yeah, no, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, it's important to me, anyways. It's important to me, and as well. And I, I think, uh, I don't know. I'd like to believe it does seep into the the larger culture. Um, yeah. I, mean, I think it always has, but. Um, it's just different, you know? It is, it is. So were you really, were you health conscious or diet conscious before yeah. she was in that I mean, was it something that was important to you? Yeah, I mean, I grew up pretty athletic, and mm -hmm. so I, I always sort of took care of myself just from that standpoint. Um, I'm certainly not perfect, but I, I just try really hard because I feel like I, just, I don't I need energy to work, mm -hmm. you know, and I need I like to run and I I love sports and I think I need to like take care of myself so I can kind of endure like the life of an artist. So yeah. I you know, I think they go hand in hand. I mean, 
Um, I've run a few marathons, and so the sort of cycle of training and dedication that goes into that system is, is really remarkably similar to the hours and the sacrifice and the sort of strange not payoff yeah. payoff of being an artist. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of artists feel that way, too. I don't, you know, yeah, so it, it's just sort of life, you know. You're another yeah. artist we can click off that box of I know. Um, exercise or some sort of I like know. physical activity being important. Because I think going to yeah. the studio is such a ritualistic, mm-hmm. like it's a workout, you know. You got to keep that, keep practicing and keep doing it to get better and better. Yeah. And if you take that sort of athletic approach, I think it's big. You know, when I was in school, I lived across from an, an undergraduate school. I lived mm-hmm. across from a McDonald's <laughs> and I was poor. Did you go a lot? So I went every day. I mean, my, my apartment door Aww. basically opened up to a McDonald's. And I was, you know, the movie Supersize Me? Mm-hmm. That was basically me. I wasn't getting fat, but I was getting greasy. Like, oh, I just felt no. terrible. Yeah. So I decided to give up meat for, you know, just maybe a week. or I thought, oh, I'll just give it up for a little bit. Yeah. This will keep me from going to McDonald's. And that was in 1992, and I still haven't eaten meat since oh. then. Well, I am happy for you. It I feels, think that that's a very it good It feels thing. good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, do you miss it? It's not like, no, yeah. It's not at like, all. Well, you, I don't know. When you're a kid, I mean, in college, I eat chicken wings and, yeah. you know, it probably drank too much beer or something. It's like, you know, there's phases, but. Yeah, you have to get that out of your system. Yeah. But I was the type of person who could eat like a pack of bacon for breakfast. Really? Like, I loved it. Oh, and then I love bacon. Now I have veggie bacon. So. Yeah. I try to eat more greens. Uh, that's the, the general rule. Yeah. I've gotten much better. Yeah. I mean, being a vegetarian kind of forces... You could still... So you are a vegetarian, like... Yeah, I became... From that day on, basically. Oh, really? I became a vegetarian. You had a moment. You had a definite thing. I had a moment. And uh, I think it was like three or four days after, you know, I was like, I think I'm going to try to give up meat. Yeah. Basically as a way to not go through the golden arches. And that... (laughs) (laughs) Which was right on the way home. Yeah. You know, so... It was like four days later, I think there was an opening of a graduate um, thesis show. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm, I apologize to her, but I forget who it was. But we had a student there who, I think she was a sculpture major. Mm-hmm. And she did a performance in the gallery where there were two old school tube televisions on each side of her. Mm-hmm. And they were playing like looped footage of slaughterhouses. Oh. And then she came out mm-hmm. in this big wedding dress and had a crown of thorns on. <laughs> and she pulled sausages from under her dress wow. and then stuck them on the crown of thorns and the blood would like run down. Wow. So you had the footage of the slaughterhouses and you had the smell of the sausage. So you definitely did not want to, that was enough. It was, was, yeah, I was at the edge and that pushed me. Uh, that would push, I think, everyone over the yeah, edge. I was like, all right, that's a wrap for me. And it's been that long. I think that's good. But I just feel really good all the time that's good diet wise that's good I think I went through a point of of just eating everything but meat like the french fries and the crappy foods that I would normally eat which wasn't good but then I learned how to to eat right but I think it's important for energy and you know all that stuff yeah I I know a lot of artists are you know um, believe in working out or taking care of their body to a degree I think because it like relates so much to how much work you do in the studio like just physically, but, um, you know, lately I've been a little more aware of that. I feel like I need to have kind of a shorter workout and like a little bit less stress. You know, I don't have the energy or time anymore to go run 10 miles. Mm 
um, I just four or three and like some yoga and I can come here and I, I'm not distracted by feeling fatigued. So it's like, and then I, I guess it's like, as you get older, you have to modify and it's not like I can't do it. It's just, this is really important. I have to like, my livelihood <laughs> depends yeah. on this. Yeah. I can't just go run for three hours and put my legs up on the wall to drain the lactic acid. It's like, I've right. got to paint, you know? Yeah. So it's different now, but it's definitely still part of it. I feel clearer headed and happier. Yeah. So they say that like running too much isn't good for you, right? Like I, it puts a lot of stress yeah. on your ligaments and stuff. Yes. Yeah, ligaments and it's sort of anaerobic exhaustion. So yeah, yeah I think that's why I like soccer is because you, it's not too long, mm-hmm. but you get like hardcore running. Like a lot of soccer players are so fit. I I've always wanted to be a soccer player. Yeah, did you? You said you were athletic. Did you play any sports? Yeah, I played basketball actually um, through college until I was a junior, and nice. then I um, quit. Um, <laughs> I had a really great moment in college where I was I I did play in college, but I didn't really play much. You know, I was a little bit of a head case, and I overthought things, mm-hmm. but I was really good. Were you a I, point guard? I was a point guard. Well, that works. Yeah. For the so. Head. So I was like overthinking everything, but yeah. I was really fundamentally sound and good enough to be on the team for sure. I was recruited. You but went to Rutgers, right? I went to Rutgers for my MFA. Oh, I see. But I went to Bloomsburg in Pennsylvania for oh, my yeah. undergrad uh, work. And How's Bloomsburg? Oh man, it's <laughs> the middle of nowhere. Yeah. I mean, where is Bloomsburg? Is it's it on in the way? Bloomsburg, Pennsylvania. Is it on the way to Penn State? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's a funny school, um, and, and it was a good school. I was there for three years. Um, I had transferred from a school in Boston. Um, you know, like I said, growing up, sports were really important. In fact, way more important than I thought art was going to be. I, th- I had this illusion that I was going to be a professional athlete, and yeah. I really gave it my all. And um, my junior year, I, I had this like kind of just crazy basketball coach that just yelled all the time mm-hmm. like at me and I was like but I don't do anything like I'm yeah. you know it's like why are you picking on me and so I just had this moment of like okay <laughs> I'm in the middle of Bloomsburg I really love art I was a major in psychology and I double majored in art and psychology and I was like I just want to commit to art I'm good mm-hmm. so I quit and very peacefully of course and professionally and I was like I'm gonna just go study abroad and I went to Rome, Italy in 2015 to study abroad. And was it like the Toady program? It was the Tyler, the Tyler oh, yeah, School. Oh, yeah, the Tyler one. Right. Yeah, and it's funny. I know a lot of people from it now still. It's like this funny time that everyone went there. and um, makes a huge impact, right, traveling when you're I, at that stage? Yeah. Did you do some traveling, too, when you were? No, I just know I have so many students who have done it. And, it's big. you know, it seems like they come back and they're just different. They make a different kind of work. I yeah, it changed my life. I think I knew that there was like something uh, possible for me in the world beyond. I don't know what I thought. I thought I was going to be a behavior analysis, like I don't know, like a psychotherapist or something. And mm-hmm. and I, but I knew I like loved to make work, and I loved to make. And I was like, how can I make this my life? And so when I got the courage to quit the thing that really formed me as a person and a young woman, which was athletics, to kind of let that go. Mm-hmm. I really clamped on to art, and I mean, I went just as full force with that. So, so did you start while you were there, or was it after you? No, I was already an art major in college. Like it was a thing, but I just—I don't know that I was that I bought it, you know. But when I lived in Italy for five months and really was around like fancy art kids from BFA programs, yeah. I, I was not, you know. I didn't have the lingo. I didn't feel like 
I was there yet, but I just knew I could be. And yeah. so I was like, oh, these, these people are cool and they're dedicated and this is their life. And it really opened my eyes up and I came back like, oh yeah, I'm going to finish my gonna degrees do. and I'm going to be an artist. And I just, I had some really good teachers at Bloomsburg, even though it was a super small, not fancy art school, it was a good program. And yeah. so it was, it was really impactful and, and funny. That's and so important that you went because you probably weren't going to get that in undergrad, that you went no. and met people who were just as serious about art as, yeah. as you or the people you were with were about basketball. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Oh, it's yeah. like, oh, yeah, you can be that passionate about yeah. art. You know, Because yeah. I was lucky enough to have like a fellow classmate mm-hmm. or a few who were really serious yeah. in, into it and then professors who were really into it. And that's all you need is just that a few, one. Yep. yeah. It doesn't, and you know the the professors were good at Bloomsburg, but and one of my peers was also Rebecca Morgan. Mm-hmm. She was a year older yeah. than me, or I think a grade above, and she was she was committed, of course. Then I right. mean, just like full force. And I remember being uh, like, I liked everything. I liked the work. I just I was like kind of like I took a step back and I was like, okay, you know, and I. I wasn't that confident then, you know, and, um, but I remember being like, oh, that's a thing. That girl is like, she's doing this, yeah. you know, she's really bold. And so I, there was that there, but I was really thankful I went to Italy. It changed my life. So, yeah. yeah. So you got back and how much time did you have after you traveled before you graduated? Um, one semester? I had one year left one year. and I just kind of, I lived in the library and in the studio. Yeah. And I remember I had a, my final, like, BA review mm-hmm. and this uh, professor gave me this really good letter just you know of encouragement and good review a good score or whatever and and I remember it just I held that letter and I was like oh I could like this guy I, re- I revere this guy he's a great sculptor and a great ceramicist and um, he was kind of crazy and I, I remember that he and he never gave much he wasn't very emotive he yeah. was very quiet and super smart and kind of cynical and so the fact that he even gave me any positive reinforcement was like, and he did it in a very cool way. I was like, oh, if this guy thinks I'm good, you know, Validation. Like, it was yeah. really helpful. It's, it's funny how, and I, I try when I teach now to do that too and to give to give people that because yeah. I think that that stuff really accumulates over time. Yeah, it's those little so, things are so important when you're so important. just getting started or, you know, getting into the groove of, yeah. Thinking, this is what I want to do. You know, that's like a pivotal moment. Yeah. And someone can just crush you too at the oh, same God, time. Yeah. Like I had those. You, oh. I'm sure you've had those critiques. Visiting artists are particularly good at that because mm-hmm. they could just come in, start a fire, mm-hmm. get out of there. You know. <laughs> I I I have had in grad school particularly some critiques that were just like, whoa, but yeah. they were all good and all needed. And oh yeah, they. But, <laughs> you know. Yeah, they can be brutal. Like you're like biting your lip. You're like, mm-hmm, that's yeah. great. <laughs> <laughs> so you did apply good. to grad school? Yeah. Did I you go right away? No, I spent like four years actually four years. outside of undergrad. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just painting and bartending and doing some weird kind of odd jobs. And in Jersey? In New Jersey, yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, I would take classes at SVA and the new school, continuing ed, because mm-hmm. I thought I just needed to kind of improve my paint chops and I would come into the city every Tuesday, Wednesday or something and take these night classes. And I, I was doing that to quite a, sort of get myself back in that world and like believe that I could keep doing it. And I had a few good shows and then I just, I applied to grad school and I went to Rutgers in 2009 to 11. Yeah. So maybe it was only like a three, four year difference, but. How was that? But yeah, it was a, it was a really good program. It was really hard. Um, 
but I, you know, it was really, at the time, it was really paint-centric. Mm -hmm. um, Tom Niskaski was there for his last and, like, kind of final year, and it was this big... Oh, he's done now. Yeah, he's, he's, he's been out there. I think he left the, after the first year I was there, so 2010. But, you know, it, it, it is a little bit more multidisciplinary now. I yeah. think that they... Um, but it, it's such a great program, and I, I'm friends with still a lot of the people I went to my MFA with. Mm -hmm. Not all, but, you know, I mean... It was hard. Yeah. I had some really funny critiques and like hard. I mean, just like I needed it though. You know, I'm I'm not not an advocate of grad school, but I I think it's also insane that people have to pay that much money. And you know, um, luckily Rutgers was affordable and there was scholarships that they gave. And yeah, so it's even not better a big now, deal. right? Oh, it's literally just the, free yeah. if you can get in now, which is I don't even know how. It's really hard. Yeah. The, do so, you hear that? That's the sound of every art student applying to Rutgers. Yeah, I know. It's everybody. I mean... <laughs> I'm applying, and I already have an MFA, and I want to apply. <laughs> I want to... No, I, I mean, Carol Walker. I mean, everyone. It's just such a great program. I can't say enough. And But now I'm like, oh, I just wish I <laughs> could have gone now because yeah, right. it would be totally free. But it was still worth it and very reasonable. So... Yeah, I'm glad I went to grad school when I did because the prices have jumped oh, quite bet. a bit. Yeah. Yeah. It's it it is amazing. But grad school is you know, people Right. You don't need it, but some people need it. Some people need that like yeah, immersion. Some people need two right. years and more talking about the work and right. more studio time and more focus. And right. Some people go and you're like, Why are you here? I yeah. You know, what are you spending money for? And there's also I was talking recently to several New York artists that I think are just great artists. I think they're doing good work and they're in their studio every day and their life is built around it. And then they're like, I'm gonna go back to school. I'm like, I'm sorry. Why? Yeah. I mean unless someone's gonna pay for you and and then it's an opportunity to teach, that's great. I'm not against further investment of your pr profession. Uh, yeah. I don't believe that it has to be an exchange of, you know, investment. It's not that. It's just that some people in the art world really just already do it. And yeah. so just have some tougher studio visits. And, right. you know, there's ways to sort of recalibrate your system and residencies and stuff like that. But, yeah, that's true. You know. Yeah, I guess some people feel like, oh, well, yeah. I'll, I'll make different connections. Or yeah. Something. And, or, you know, if, if they can do it, then great. It's... It's not bad. Yeah, it's just yeah, it's a lot. And there's some schools nowadays that are free. Yeah, so and so to go those. to those. I'm full, fully <laughs> <laughs> supportive <Exactly>. of that. <laughs> so when did you finally move to New York from Jersey? So it's kind of a funny story, but I've been in the New York area for four or five years, but mm -hmm. I've been living in Jersey City, and I just kind of moved to New York this summer. Mm -hmm. um, I was teaching in a public school for four years. It was a tenure track job and. It was good and hard, but um, what were you teaching? I was art? teaching art, yeah. yeah. And it was how did that happen? Because <laughs> don't you need an art education degree, brutal. which is different brutal. than mm -hmm. art. I did that after so you did my that MFA. Too? Oh wow! Yeah, I didn't want to. It wasn't my plan, but it was sort of life at the time. And I just I, I had a psychology degree and a lot of other experience, so I actually only had to take like four classes yeah. and do some field work, and I got the this certificate you need for it. Right. So I didn't have to do too much. Um, anyway, it was, you know, and I still, I will be teaching again in the, this fall, but just, I hope, more part-time. What so, age are you teaching? Um, I'm teaching uh, a studio critique class at the Abrams Art Center mm -hmm. in the Lower East Side, so that's mostly adults. And then I will be teaching also with this uh, the studio and a school program. So that could be, the placement could be any age. Oh, but I mean, what were you teaching 
back when you oh, were teaching? Oh, seventh and eighth grade. Oh, Jesus. I know. I can't. I mean, we could we could be here for a while. It's yeah. It was the a, hormone cocktail oh, of that setting just, must be in crazy. It's comical. Yeah. I mean, you know what? It's actually I have so I'm I'm like laughing. I'm smiling because it's I learned so much about humans. I yeah. I, I think I it's like yeah I taught art, but like. I think I just hopefully helped some kids for the last four years. It wasn't, you know, formally they're 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 underdeveloped, but and it's a public school, so they definitely they learn things. Don't get me wrong, but it's you know they just they're they're insecure, and you just your job is really to promote that they continue to like art. Right. And I think that was my goal. I was like, if you like it more at the end, I win. You yeah. win. We're good. You know, they're gonna learn all the things, and we did everything we made sculptures out of cardboard and shoe sculptures that looked like literally shoes and they made ceramics and i, I mean i taught them everything i could yeah um sounds like i mean they got lucky they you know i i think i did a good well, job i think a lot of you know our teachers yeah. may not necessarily be you know breakthrough artists no you I, know so well, it's cool that they got someone who's an art educator but also really yeah. Heavy duty artists too at the same time. Thank you. I well, you know, it's when you're a kid you just don't know. And so but I think eventually some of them did kind of catch on. They're like, Oh, why are you going to Europe for a show? I'm like, Well, you know how I talk about painting with such passion? Yeah. <laughs> That's what I do That's every day do. when I go home and they're like, Wait, really? And you know, it's I I think I did open that up to kids yeah. and I, I hope that I did and I but more than anything I wanted them to learn discipline in terms of like whatever they were going to do, they were going to do it well. And, you know, so, but I, I had a lot of good laughs and it was just a beautiful learning experience, but it was time to kind of move on and, and it's all good. But I'm sure that was exhausting though, right? Literally, Brian, when I tell you, I, so going back to the whole running thing I had for those four years, I, I kind of hit a wall this year, just to be honest. And it was a, a needed wall to hit. Um, but I would get up before work and I would run like five miles and I would go teach about a hundred students a day, all cognitive levels, all developmental levels, um, art for, you know, hours. And, and then I would come home and I'd work, I'd work in my studio from four thirty to 10, yeah. unless I was at an opening, but really it was for four years. It was a really hard and, and I made a lot of work and my time management was amazing. So it, it, I don't know that the work suffered, but I just got really tired yeah. eventually. I was like, okay, this is this whole doing everything thing is not. It's not, not gonna. Ha- it's not gonna be forever. And I finally am like peeling back, but it's you know. And you you don't have kids, do you? It was hard. No, I don't. Was I would, this a? <laughs> I would love a kid, but I don't. Oh, have, okay. Yeah. So it didn't ruin the kid. <laughs> no, it didn't ruin. The I can whole imagine thing. <laughs> teaching that age might I, put, strike the fear into any. It, I have to say, it's definitely adult. made me realize that I do want children. If when, whenever that happens, but I I want it to be in a really good situation because it's a hard thing, and I think. I just, you know, I had a moment though when I didn't know that I could go home every day and take care of a little one after that. Yeah. I, I don't know that I can. I, I don't want to. Yeah. You have a little little one, right? Yeah, he's 10. Okay. So, so he's, he's like a little more of a person. Yeah, he's pretty doing much this stuff. an adult. Yeah. Giving yeah. me attitude, you know, the whole bit. <laughs> oh, I know. Yeah, he's self sufficient. Oh, roll their eyes at you. <laughs> yeah, I'm getting ready to enter that dark abyss called like puberty i just want to you know i jokingly don't mean i don't mean this but i was always like uh, i want to i definitely want children but i might send them away for a few years like yeah, no boarding school go. might <laughs> be good. 
might be a good thing. You know, like, <laughs> I love you, but it's better for all yeah. of us. <laughs> yeah. Camp the entire, I, I'm always jealous of these parents who send their kids away to camp the whole summer. Yeah, he's on a sleepaway camp. I'm going to drop him off the day after school and pick him up the day before school. I think people should do it, but it's hard. It's probably really expensive. Yeah, I think so. And so. I couldn't, I couldn't do it psychologically. Right. Be away that long, but yeah, it's, they test you sometimes. I know. <laughs> so you, so you were making work before you moved to the city, but now you're in yeah. the city. And then can you tell me a little bit about how you got involved with the gallery and that whole process or like how you started meeting people, you know, yeah. what the transition was from, okay, I just got my degree from Rutgers. How do I enter in and start? you know, making work in the city and, like, connecting and showing. Yeah, I think that's, like, one of the best sort of questions because I think that that's so relatable to all artists who are trying to break into the world. Um, basically, I just went to openings all the time, and I would go alone, and I'd really have to pep talk myself on the train to not have a freak out, you know, mm -hmm. and walk into a really packed Bushwick gallery and just make friends. And... I showed up a lot for people at their openings, and I showed up a lot to studio visits, and I did a lot of work, um, yeah. you know, for years. And it just, and I still do tons of visits and do a lot of work. But yeah, I that's I, a lot of social work. It you're is, doing. yeah. I, I, so those hours alone running or painting are, are really easy. You know, I'm yeah. like, this is good. <laughs> right, quiet time. Oh, yeah, and when I'm on, I'm on. But I'm really actually, I, I'm sure most people wouldn't believe it, but I am more of a quiet person in my own studio life and everything but I uh, yeah but you must growing up with such a big family I'm sure made you yeah. a little more gifted at, at being social in a way yeah you had to navigate like yeah. just to get breakfast it was, it was like, like there's people 10 everywhere. people in your way and you're like um, good morning excuse me can I have that yeah you're learning the art yeah. of like communication to sort right. of yeah navigation the social navigation is actually really important but you know, I, I think a lot of the good things that have happened being a co-director of Ortega, I guess that now for about a year and a half, um, happened because I gave a lot for a lot of years. Like yeah. I, like a lot of artists do, um, the work you do is important too to feature and talk to artists. And I would write about artists. I would curate shows. Um, I would just do anything I could to get in the conversation. And um, and I think that helped eventually just sort of form a more well-rounded um, relationship with the art world. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think then there's times to kind of step back and be like, yeah, I have to do my work for this year and I, I can't really do all the visits and all the shows. And But curating a little bit, writing just, you know, creative writing about artists or doing anything I could to promote and help people that I believed were doing good work, um, I think helped me connect. So I've been now a part of Ortega for a year and a half and it's really one of the most rewarding and difficult things that um, that I do but I'm really grateful that they asked me to be a part of it and I work with 10 artists right now. I was going to um, say is it strength in numbers? I mean does that uh, help? So I was thinking about this. I, I think that the numbers really helps but then it's also a lot of people to we're a pretty democratic system and yeah. so we all have to decide and we do. We all really listen to each other and you know, six of us now are outside of New York, um, anywhere from Knoxville, Tennessee, to Connecticut, mm -hmm. um, to Chicago. And so, um, but we all really, we have conference calls and we do the work um, a little bit remotely. And then the people that are here do different tasks and, and we all really help. But 
you know, so we get to curate essentially about once a year. Mm-hmm. And then we do a lot of individual, I'm sorry, we do a lot of group curation lately. Um, we all kind of collaborated and did a solo show for Rick Briggs back in May. Um, we all collaborated and juried a huge open call we did for an artist in residence um, who, who we met before, Padma, whose show opens tomorrow. Yeah. So, you know, we, we do a lot of collaborative curation and work, but mm-hmm. then once a year I get it. You know, I can do whatever I want, and so, in in terms of a show, um, right? And so, in a way, although it is more work, I now I don't have to search for venues to curate. I don't have time for that. I yeah. just once a year I can give someone a show that I believe in, and then the rest is sort of helping the system run. Right. So and how have you been able to, sort of, the functioning? I mean, obviously, it's so rewarding as an artist to be able to support fellow artists. Mm-hmm to get a collective because you feel like this empowerment and this, you know, group voice and taking some ownership over like what gets seen. All those things are really positive, especially in a environment that I feel like seems more and more about like the big people up top. I know. Dominating what gets seen and what gets, you know, pushed. So that's got to feel good. I mean, how has it been sort of functioning wise? Like, making the gallery is it is it more difficult now than year, a couple years ago say for a, a space to exist or you know how do you deal with like the sort of nuts and bolts of running it yeah um that's a great question i mean we're officially now um, a nonprofit, right. and so that took a lot of work um and you know i think that we have a pretty good system in terms of like how we literally run it it takes a lot of creative capital yeah. you know um, but, you know, if you look at New York and the scene of the art galleries, so many of them that are impactful and big are actually artists-run galleries. Mm-hmm. I mean, some now are at a different tier, but you can take anything from Regina Rex to Mrs. Gallery in Long Island, or I think it's, yeah. Um, or, or you could take, you know, uh, Transmitter or pop-up galleries and stuff, and they people have galleries now in their closets it's like you know I, I think there's a freedom now to curate the sort of culture you want to see but it does take a little bit of you know some serious creative capital like I said in terms of contributions um, finding real estate that's not expensive or that you can get a deal mm-hmm. um, selling work from your shows um, doing fundraisers you know things that are going to promote other artists but also sustain it yeah and that, that's something I think actually all artists from galleries in New York and beyond are really actually talking actively about like we we call other people and we're like what, what should we do and we definitely we're all kind of connected because we're all trying to just keep this level yeah you know it's been good to see too that the press is writing yeah about it or supporting it to an extent because I feel like art press these days I know is just not I don't know it is what it is but you know, the same, like, big topics will keep getting written about, you know, this person to this big gallery or whatever it is. Right. But it's good to see that they seem to be supporting, you know, like, you guys in 106 Green and, yeah. you know, and, like, TSA. Like, people like that are getting, mm-hmm. you know, written about, which is good because it puts it on the map and the radar of yeah. other people. Hopefully, people still read Art Press. I don't know. Or maybe they just go to one of five galleries to buy there. I know, right? investments for the future (laughs) i think it does help um and i think uh we're really grateful for we've had pretty good press this year and we are really thankful for that and and i think you know i was talking about this last night actually with a friend of mine who also runs a gallery and um 
this sort of sharpening up of your programming to we've been doing a lot more solo shows and two-person shows um, I think has really helped put the work on the map Mm -hmm. in a more specific sense right and just from an energy perspective it is more likely and it's more often that you will get a review or more attention if you are at least honing in your programming yeah so I think a lot of artists from galleries are trying to sort of hone in just also for the investment sake it's like hey I believe in this artist and I really want to give them a real show yeah I don't want to have another group show with 20 people in this space I'm for group shows, but I also think it's really good to give someone a two-person show or a one-person show, you know? Yeah, and if it's continually group shows, it gets sceny. You yeah, know, it's like, oh, they're kind of right. promoting this, the Bushwick scene or the Guan, yeah. whatever it is, you know? Right, and also, you know, I've been thinking a lot about, too, I, I wish people did, I w- we are actively trying to do this, but to curate really outside of our circles, like that it's not someone that I know. Like, I could curate a show a day for the next year of amazing people. We all could. But, you know, part of also us doing this open call was that we got applicants that we had never met that are not from our art circle, I don't think, you know, or that are but maybe are under the radar. Mm -hmm. And so those things really open up the dialogue and give different people a name. Yeah, and and I I think think it's rewarding as a curator, too, that, I mean, naturally you go to your first... At the beginning, you usually go to the people that you're familiar with. You know, right. like you'll hear a lot of students complain about, or younger artists might complain about. Well, why am I not show? Why am I not getting in this show? Or why are they curating these people when they know them? It's well, naturally, as a curator, you're going to think of the people that are whose work is floating in your mind. If you yeah. haven't seen the work, how are you going to know to curate them? Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. But then, as you start you know, working over time as a curator or an artist, whatever it is, you start to get to know more and more people and things pop up. And nowadays with social media and the internet, it's easy to find, you know, I'm doing a show about, you know, people who make work on paper out of sheet music. (laughs) You could Google it and probably find five people around the United States, around the world who are doing that. So, you know, it's, it's a little easier to find things these days, but I mean, even with the podcast at the beginning, it was friends. Yeah. And then now I've been able to meet so many people I've, I didn't even know their work like years ago, right. you know. So it's, it's I, I think it's a natural progression, but it's, right. it's rewarding as the curator to, to start to find the people that you've never seen before right. and, and connect and be able to share that work. Yeah, and that's the rewarding part, you know. Yeah. You're like, I didn't know this person was there making work all along, and I, I think about that a lot. It just takes time. Yeah. It just takes accumulation of visits and you know, being open to do it, so. Well, the good thing about the press and getting the word out on galleries like, you know, these artist-run galleries mm-hmm. that are doing these small operations is I think it's empowering for younger artists, too, because, mm-hmm. I mean, they've been existing, right? We've had galleries, artist-run spaces, but, yeah. you know, it's important for people coming up to know that they're going to... Actually, I think... I learned that as an artist because when I first started showing, I just started showing at a gallery, you yeah. know, and having solo shows. And you get this feeling at the beginning of like, oh, the gallery is supposed to do everything for me. Like they right. handle the promotion. They handle the. And yeah. I was kind of hermetic, you know, like I, I didn't want to go out. I was just always in my studio. Really? So, <laughs> yeah. And I didn't really want to be social mm-hmm. and go to openings. I never went to openings. Yeah. You know, I still don't go to openings. They're kind of stressful. <laughs> yeah. I just it. Yeah. And it doesn't. It's not my thing. But, yeah. you know, it, it's important. It's important to get out there and talk to people and see people and meet yeah. people. And then it's really important, too, to make your own opportunities. Right. Or at least, you know, 
work to provide an opportunity, a right. chance to exist, you know. Whereas a lot of people think like, well, I'm just going to sign with a big weight and sign with a big gallery and they'll do everything for me. No, they won't. Oh, like, yeah. I, you've got to do your own work. you got to do the work. Yeah. I mean, maybe there are some people that have left some great school and have a connection and, and just got fortunate. And that's great. But really, most people just make their own world. Yeah. Um, and I think also like looking at the art world as a whole and thinking about what's missing from it. Like what's what's missing that we can provide or that I want to give? And if you don't want to give anything, if you just want to paint in your studio, then great. Like yeah. I think that's beautiful too. I'm not. I don't think everyone has to do all the things. In fact, I think eventually you need to really isolate and like you know not isolate, but um, you know hone in. Focus. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you do a little bit of legwork in certain stretches of your life, and then I think you really have to commit in a different way you know yeah. you have to change your priorities but um you know you can continue doing all the things if you want to but um yeah i think the gallery system that's the idea maybe what we both grew up with this idea that a gallery would take care of you is i i don't even think about that anymore i mean yeah. i don't know what else to believe in but i believe in like continuing to make good work um i don't want to make work just to have a show uh i want it to be good work at this point like really something strong mm -hmm. and i um yeah so I, I just wouldn't you know i would never advocate that someone goes and finds a gallery they're not gonna save your life yeah right the model is just different it is different and yeah. the chance it's like sports again the chance that you're on the same team for a long time yeah you're gonna get traded yeah you're gonna get traded or bump to the minors yeah oh totally yeah they're gonna find someone new a new young recruit right. and you're gonna be like oh which is fine i mean that's totally that's fine. the way it goes you know i know you have to come to, I, I think we we all have to to come to terms with that there's nothing sadder than that athlete that tennis player is like 42 oh. is really trying to still <laughs> you know i just I, it's so amazing it's i i hope that i continue to always evolve and learn but it's it is funny to think about that athlete that's a good um analogy um yeah like that there's just so much more always. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it's... And I'm talking specifically about yeah. the the placement of the artist within, like, the quote-unquote art world or right. the market or whatever that stuff is. Yeah. Not, like, making work. You make work, yeah, yeah. you know, the trick to, I think, having longevity and being um, poignant 20, 30 years later is to just be working all the time. Like, right. people will come around to the work. Or, you know, like, things ebb and flow, but if you're sitting there making your work over time, you know, people will pay attention sooner or later. Like, yeah, it's, it's just a matter of like sticking with it. Right. It's a marathon, not like you know a sprint. It. I really. I. I totally agree. Um, on so many levels, I think. Uh, I consistently working is such. If like, if I had to tell anything to any student or any person, I just think working. I mean, just like I used to sneak in three hours of work at the end of a day. I mean, and, and I didn't always produce the thing, but. I was a muscle that I just always worked, or if I'm on the train, I'm always drawing, or I'm, you know, collecting data somehow about the potential next painting or something. And um, yeah, sometimes you don't have a show for a year or two, who cares? But you're just yeah. making work. Right. You know, like really high performance athletes, like track athletes, is something I really like love is the specificity of that sport. Mm -hmm. The best, best people in the world, the people that are like breaking barriers, are the people that aren't injured, right? So yeah. they, they collect around a decade or five years, let's just say even five, of uninjured work. And so that's why they're actually able to like break a 355 barrier because they, they, they're consistent. 
Yeah. And, and then there's people that are enormously talented just like them, but they can't get that because they're always off and on, you know? And, yeah. and that's, some of that's a luck. different thing. Yeah, totally. Some of that is, yeah, that's, know, that's different, but it's like, what yeah, <laughs> what are you going to do? <laughs> Poor people. Yeah. Oh, you couldn't I stay could healthy. Never, I could never, you know, I, I'm, I, I could never do it. It's, I, yeah, I that's one it. of the perks. I mean, you know, being an artist has a lot of non-perks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like what? Insurance or, you know, whatever. A home. But, uh, yeah, exactly. A, you know, some sort of wage. Right. But um, one of the perks is you can do it forever. I mean, you yeah. don't have to, you can be 90. Look at John Wesley. Right. You can just yeah. keep going and going and doing it and doing it. Alex Katz. I know. You know, it's not like in, as a pro athlete, you've got five Maybe ten. It depends what sport. No, it's different. Yeah. Like it's if it's in the NFL, you got five years. Yeah. You're Make like, your money. It's like those gymnasts that are like phenoms and right. are done by eighteen. It's yeah. like And they have to recalibrate their life. I mean, I I look oh. forward to being like in a barn when right, I'm older right. or next year, uh, painting and like I just it's gonna keep me company my whole life. It's always gonna be a mental challenge or and like a. Yeah, it's it's such a steady thing yeah. that I believe in. You know, I think when you're a younger artist too, you you fear the potential that you might not commit, you know, that you, you're going to do something else. And then you get to a point where you're like, well, there's nothing else. That I'm <laughs> See, <laughs> I didn't get that. I wasn't fearful. Oh. I went straight in and I wanted, I knew I just want to be an artist. That's I want to do this. But then I got to the age where I was like, oh shit. Like if I want to do something else, it's too late. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> like I what put could all I possibly my eggs do? in this yeah. basket in, in a field that is, not useful to a lot of other parts of society. Right. right. So it's like, well, you know, you can teach and those are that's an amazing life. And yeah. you can you can, you know, maybe do a little bit of marketing in the art world. You there's ways to do other things, but oh no, it's just it's just art at this point. Yeah, I've got I've got <laughs> there's no other option. Sometimes <laughs> I look at other people's jobs and they're like they're the way that they operate and I'm like kind of like a little jealous and I'm like, I don't even know how to do that. Like Yeah. I know how to make a painting, I know how to teach. I know how to like work in the art world, and I, I, I think I do. Anyway, yeah. so. Well, that's a good segue because we can talk about your work. Yeah. Why not? We're, <laughs> we're here. We're here. So, what led up to this? Uh, so, what were you doing in grad school? What what kind of work were you making? Oh, I was painting, but it was um, it was really different. I have always uh, had a sort of love for drawing, mm-hmm. and and uh, I think. You know, grad school work was really good. I just don't think it's anywhere like the work I'm doing now. But I think it's all rooted in the same observation. Mm-hmm. But formally, it looks totally different. Um, but uh, when did you graduate? 2011. So it's it's like there's just been cycles, you know, since then. Like I'd say five. Yeah. Of like just bodies of work that I just are not drastically different. I mean, I could boil it down to observation, drawing, mm-hmm. um, noticing what I notice is something I say a lot to my students, but also to myself. And so um, a lot of the forms and the figures are reoccurring uh, things that I observe and that I draw uh, either from travel or from basic observation in life. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, this body of work is more landscape driven. Um, but the figure is also coming back in. Um, you know, in the last year, I changed things up a little bit in terms of technique and color. Um, I've started using an airbrush gun as well as paint, mm-hmm. so I don't just do either anymore. Um, and it really is feeding my my energy. I'm really happier. I'm just so much happy with the sort of process of 
combining just intuitive ways of mark making and, and painting and not thinking that I had to pick one. You know, I just, my brain doesn't work like that. Yeah. So. so it's, um, have they lightened up since you started using the Yeah, oh, airbrush? like, absolutely. Um, the last body of work I made last year was after I went to LA for kind of a residency and it really uh, electrified. And then this year I moved this new studio and I bought an airbrush gun. I just did a lot of different kind of things I had been wanting to do. And it just felt free as soon as I moved to Brooklyn to just um, just dive in. Yeah. Um, so, you know, some of these are, are totally done and they had just come back from the show at One River School and um, some are of course still in process, but um, I really would like to sort of get the figure back in a way that's a little bit more committal and put them in these landscapes. So that's what some of these over in the corner are doing, but they're not totally done yet, so. And you're um, shifting scale a lot, too. Is that something you like to do? I do. You know, I've, I don't know. I'm not an indecisive person, but I, I want a lot, you know? And so yeah. there's just different modes of my brain working. And so I like the 9 by 12 size mm -hmm. on panel because it just relates so much to my notebook and the sort of drawing. But then the 16 by 20 scale is is like sort of my little mini middle. Um, but I've been at this scale of 38 by 42, so for about a year. And I, I really like this this scale the most, yeah. I think. It's a good scale. Yeah. It's not, I like to call that scale, like it's not big, it's not small. Right. It's kind of like a, a small big. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, and the idea too of getting these landscapes in a portrait format, um, was was challenging and interesting to me um thinking about how to sort of get that to happen um yeah and they're just the right size for, for me for right now but um the smaller works i think happen a lot when I, I they accumulate over time and they take um sort of a different pace but i i do the smaller works when i'm honestly tired i've i've had a really big day i'll sit down and i'll and i'll i'll do work but it will just be smaller because of energy and you're kind of, I always feel like with smaller work, it's like you're dictating it more, mm -hmm. whereas larger work, you're moving in space with it. So yeah. it makes sense that it's a little more dense or a little more composed yeah. because you're kind of you, it, able you're to... You're holding it and yeah. you just... And there's a sensibility and you know, it's like after a certain time, you just know how to do things at a certain scale. So right. that's why I know it is important to make consistently, you know, I like this scale right now, the semi-larger work. Um, but it's, it doesn't happen as fast. Like I just, the larger works just take scraping and they're really rarely ever like economical. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's because I'm indecisive. I mean, I have an idea, you know, um, but I, they just need more, they need more work. Um, what, who are some artists? I'm sure a million, but a million. are there some artists historically that you've really been interested in lately? Or like, what is the sort of, I mean, I know you're kind of trying to loosen up with the airbrush or get things yeah. to have a different feel to it, but what are you looking at? Like, other than oh your, gosh. you know, the things that you're looking at day to day, which are inspiring the iconography of the work, but is there, what's the aesthetic that you're tapping into? You know, I, I think that's a good question. And I don't know that I have a formal, you know, answer. Like, 
I can go to a show. I remember seeing a show, uh, a John Dilg show at Tamar Grain like a year ago, mm -hmm. and I don't paint like John Dilg, but um, the the sensitivity of like the tonal shifts. Um, I like to think of the, the art world as like um, I don't know. I just you take what you need for that painting, and so then there's some paintings I I reduce things down, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to focus on form, value, and a very slight tonal shift. So. Specifically, the painting up there on the right was something I was thinking about with that. Um, I really love Shara Hughes's paintings, um, her idea of landscape as imaginary landscape mm -hmm. um, is really, I mean, it's, it's great work. I mean, but I, I don't know, I don't, um, I do look at art all the time, but I don't like think about a, a person as much. Um, yeah. I kind of take what I need you know, like I'll I'll be like, oh well, that composition is really interesting. I wonder why they're doing that, and and why does everyone have borders on their paintings now, and why is everything now electric, and and all, a lot of paintings now just look like the internet, and yeah. why is that? And so those are things that I actually think about more than specific painters, technically. But I definitely grab, you know, I'm like, oh that that's something I need to remember. I need to slow down. I need to sharpen up in some parts of my painting, like that person does. Mm -hmm. You know, I need to give a little bit more effort, insert the painting chops, and uh, and slow down. But then, so it's like a pace thing. Um, yeah, there's kind of this old and new thing going on. I mean, with some of the way that you're layering mm -hmm. the fluid, or I don't know if it's airbrush or some of it's fluid, but it, it has a feeling of like a patina of age to it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And then there's a little bit of, you know, that could be a wall of where something was painted, like, not graffiti, but, you know, kind of like an urban layering of, like, sprays and things like that. But at the same time, like, I was thinking of, um, like, Delaunay or, mm -hmm. you know, like, Stettenheimer, like, that haze, that sort of acidic haze that glows around things that yeah. um, these seem to be related to or in dialogue with, at least in my mind. Right. Then architecturally, there's a lot of building that's happening, like, building in the picture plane, it seems almost Greek or like antiquities or you know yeah. or something, well, something it, like architectural in, a, in an old sense um, so that's important because I just went to France in April for mm -hmm. a residency and I was there for like around 10-12 days making work and, and all of this work was made pretty much right after mm -hmm. and so there were these recurring forms and bridges and arches and this sort of um, you know uh, observation that came from that time there um, yeah, so I, I started to think, how could I get these landscapes back? I came back, and I'm like, well, how can I get that? Um, but also, how can I hone in and pick four reoccurring figures or forms and insert them in these landscapes and figure out how to make, not make sense of it at all, actually, but yeah. how can I recalibrate back here in, in Brooklyn? Um, so they are, they are totally steeped from that culture, actually, just that I was just there, you know? Um, but uh, the haze is a really important note. Um, I've been thinking a lot about atmosphere and just how I can get these to feel like, you know, I think about past, future, present, and I'm, I'm wondering how I can make a painting that might look like it's from the future, but at the same time really reference um, the past. Uh, you know, and, and, and so how do you do that formally? It's like how do you take an airbrush gun and sort of provide a haze or a mist which might allude to or refer to time, to space. Um, 
So those are sort of like psychological things that I'm always trying to operationalize, you know, to, mm -hmm. to, to get to be something tangible. And I think for me, the psychology has always been the, the root of the paintings, you know. I want them to be about a lot, but I definitely, they all come from very specific drawings and observations. And, um, and formally, I've been actually trying to take out the meaning of them a lot. I've been trying to really just hone in on how to make a sharp painting, you know, mm -hmm. how to really like just hone in on basic formal elements as simple as symmetry or as simple as value. Um, and I think taking out whatever I think the painting is about and just painting and thinking about that like has helped, you know? A formalist? Not really, <laughs> I mean, I'm not, but like, I don't know. I, I also overthink things, you know? And yeah. I, I know myself well enough to know that I, if I want this, I'm very direct and I'll, I'll think that I can make this painting be this thing. And I, I don't think it's helping me. You're telling me you're trying to not you're trying to non-point guard your paintings. I'm trying to, yeah, I'm trying to be like an elusive little point guard. I want to be a two guard, I think. I don't okay. want to be a point guard. Yeah, a little more fluidity to yeah. the game. Yeah, yeah, I want to run the floor. An isolationist. Yeah. yeah you're a perfect city for that. <laughs> I, I want to play defense the entire time, you know? <laughs> yeah. Throw some good assists. Right, right. Um, I'm not, I'm not going to be like, I don't know that I'll be the MVP, but... Well, these have, a, they have like a temperature to them, too. It feels like warm climate paintings. Oh, cool. You know what I mean? There yeah, just seems are. to be a summery vibe to them. Yeah. Um. I, I did an iPhone drawing the other day of a night's, like a night scene. Mm -hmm. it just, I do that a lot. I really love digital drawing now more yeah. than ever, and I, it just helps me save the time. And I did a, a, dark, a dark painting on my phone, and I, haven't, I just realized that I haven't made a dark painting really dark. Yeah. in a long time so I think I might it's time I might switch it up for the fall and like you know but uh, there's something very electric about the colors that uh, I don't know it just it's more fun it's just making me happier and I, I keep going back to certain you know to certain ones I go back to yellow I think too much but um, I don't know that it really matters but so I know I know you listen to podcasts a lot in the mm -hmm. studio while you're working but what about music Yes, I'm, uh, it's either, of course, podcasts or music. Um, and so I just recently deleted my entire library on purpose so that I could not listen to the same stuff I always listen to. Are I'm we talking iTunes? Yes. Oh, so you don't Spotify? Well, I, no, I just downloaded Spotify, but I, I got rid of my library of like playlists that okay, I had had gotcha. for my... Um, because I just did this annoying thing where I just pressed the the tab and I listen yeah. to the same thing. So I got Spotify, so I feel really excited about it's that. It's like the first day of the rest of your music <laughs> listening life. And it's so good because I just, I don't want to have to decide. And I like the idea that like this algorithm is really going to potentially decide the music. So right. I've got a few stations and um, I mean, I like, uh, I like all kinds of music. I have moods for all things, but um, I don't know. I, I like kind of country folk a little bit lately. I've been listening to Brandy Car Carlisle a lot. I wouldn't um, have guessed. She's like one of my favorites. I've seen her live a lot. Yeah. Um, you know, I like the head and the heart. I like, you know, the pretty popular typical music, but mm -hmm. I also, um, you know, I, I like mellow stuff. I like uh, Bonnie Bear. I saw him live at Pioneer Works this past year and it was just like, It's oh. pretty good. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, it's just like heartbreaking. Yeah. You know, and I, I really love music. I think if I had a, an ability to switch 
I would. Um, I would rather be a musician if I could. I just think it's so beautiful. And yeah. you get to share it like every night. You know, you get to really go play. And people, oh, yeah, it's a, it's a one-on-one connection right. that you don't get with no. art. Really. I mean, and you get connection with art, but it's such a it's such a strange and different temperament. And I'm, I'm just so envious of that idea of getting on stage and being like, you know, I know it takes tons of work. It's more just that it's like the reward is a little different. Yeah. So. But there's different energy. Yeah. It's like when you have an art show, you go and people are like, oh, look what you did. I like what you did. Or I don't like that one that much. But whenever you perform music, people feel it. Yeah. Like it gets in their body. Yeah. So how that's kind of a a different kind of directness, I think. I think it's the best. I I really. When I, you know, when I taught, I taught a lot of uh, students with autism Mm -hmm. and they obviously love music most of the time. And so I would play music in the classroom and it would just change the temperament um, of the entire system. And it's just so primal. Um, I think it's really like one of the highest, I think it's the highest art form, you know? And I think, so, so music is important and I'm hoping that Spotify will keep me, um, (laughs) introduced to new stuff. I mean, live music is definitely a favorite. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's funny because a lot of times when I see people's work, I'll it'll just it'll pop into my head like oh this looks like that sound yeah do you know what i mean so why were you shocked that i listened to brandy carlisle it, because the the it's music so that i was hearing okay was so different oh it's not that i mean i like yeah yeah you know a gazillion different kinds of music right but it's that annoying thing whenever you see when someone sees your work they think oh you must be influenced by this artist or this artist and you're like well actually i'm into yeah. you know i don't know nothing like that you know John Cage performances or you know what I mean something totally different totally um, so if these were a musician what would they be Home Shake really yeah oh it reminds me of Home Shake okay do you know him um not really I'm gonna go it's on Spotify okay that'll be my new station it's it's kind of there is like references to history like Mm -hmm. in a music history like quoting certain style of music but this wobbly hazy um, kind of new take on it and a little bit of humor but in a weird way like oh that's great and, and um, blurry also in the fact that you can't really put your finger on it right but that might have been like probably the best like overarching uh, summary that I've I, I, but I, I think it's I don't know I think it's a good thing can I write your next press yeah, release yeah seriously like that was, whatever you just said like let's get that okay it's recorded so okay, yeah good thing it's, it's on tape I, it's no but I, I that's really awesome because I, I think sometimes when you're asked to like describe it you know your brain can go rapid fire and you could say all the things but you know to, to describe something as like a wobbly atmospheric humorous thing that you can't hold on to it's that's sort of quoting different things is probably what I should have said. And the stakes are high. I really hope you like Home Shake now because <laughs> if you don't, that's I'll let you be know. Big I'll let you know. <laughs> well, I like the word wobbly. I think that's that's made my day. So that's good. Yeah. Do you like Mac DeMarco? Do you know I'm his not, music? I'm not familiar. Okay. I feel like you're probably a music pro. I feel like it's one of those things I gotta. I got some homework to do. I don't know about pro, but an addict mm-hmm. definitely. Yeah. I'll, I'll give you some spots. What do you stuff. listen to in the studio? Everything. Everything. Do you, you have moods, it. like certain moods that you have to... I do. Very specific moods that change all the time. Yeah. Like yesterday was, when I was painting, it was a kind of like minimal electronic 
like rhythmic thing. Mm-hmm. Well, it beginning with Thelonious Monk in the morning, then the <laughs> minimal electronic kind of housey beat sort mm-hmm. of stuff. And then it moved into um, African, 70s African funk. That's like awesome. psych funk stuff. That's such a day. That was the vibe. But yeah, it gets specific, right. you know. Sometimes it's ragtime. Sometimes it's, you know, I know classical. It could be anything. I like classical music. I, I used to listen to that on the way to work. I was just like, peace. I need some peace before. Yeah. Um, but, I, you know, I, I, I do love music, but I really like to listen to what's happening or listen to stories. So I've listened to a lot of Radio Lab and yeah. Invisibilia and a little podcast that are about, you know, I like to sort of connect synapses. And, and strangely, like, when I'm working, I'm, I'll be listening to some, like, forensic psychologist talk about, like, I don't know, some correlation. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And it doesn't go into my work, but yeah. it's like this idea of, connecting synapses is something I'm interested in in painting and also in just operating in the world Mm -hmm. so but music is a mood thing if I'm not feeling happy like I I definitely try to put on I mean I will put on some Whitney Houston and be okay with everything Mm -hmm. for a few minutes and really like it it will make me happy and then I'll be like okay I can do this I believe in this work (laughs) right I can definitely shift your mood yeah I'll lie on the floor stare at the ceiling and be like just get up (laughs) you know it's Take someone in a good mood and put them in a studio and play Patsy Cline for like 12 straight hours and then let them out and see how their vibe is. Yeah, right. Could you imagine? Yeah. Maybe I'll do that tomorrow. <laughs> well, what do you have coming up? What's what's on your radar? Um, in terms of shows? Anything. Or life? Yeah, anything that you want to share oh, with man. anyone listening. Well, uh, Ortega's excited about our solo show that we're going to have up for Padma. Mm-hmm. It'll be up through September. Um, I have some work in a show in um, California right now at Left Field Slow and um, at a group show in Copenhagen. I wanted to go to both, but it's just it's crazy Have you been expensive. to Copenhagen? I haven't, oh, but it's I so want to nice. go. It's the best place. I think hopefully again it'll happen and I'll, I'll go. So. Yeah. The airport alone is yeah. worth the trip. It's oh, beautiful. You know, you get used to JFK or whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or LaGuardia. And yeah. You go to that air- airport. is amazing. And you're like, why? Yeah. Can it all be like this? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's uh, travel is really important. So I'm hoping I have a show in Seattle in January, so I want to go to that. But you know, um, I'm just looking forward to working and yeah. just you know absorbing Brooklyn and not feeling like I have to run between many different things. So, so we'll see. Um, what about online? Where can people find your work? Uh, my website is my name, so mm-hmm. it's Catherine Haggerty. Com. And um, hopefully it'll get a little renovation soon. <laughs> but, I'm yeah. always thinking that. I need I to know. update that. I know. I, but, I mean, Instagram is some, almost a better tool. It's like, But I know that people do look on it, so it's not something I'm going to ignore. But right. I, I think I may be less, you know. Um, yeah, now it's made it less important to constantly update it's it. It's strange. Some, it's funny. Sometimes I'll research artists and I'll, like, actively try to find their website, and it's like, where is it? Yeah. You know, because I'm just used to seeing it in a different forum. But, um, but yeah, it's just my name. Cool. So yeah. sounds good. Yeah. Well, thanks for inviting me over. Thank and you thanks so much. for, you know, making great work and also doing all the stuff you do for other artists. It's really thank you an amazing sort of thing that you guys do, an opportunity for people. So thank you, you as well. I appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you.
Sound and Vision is recorded, organized, produced, edited, and assembled by myself, Ryan Alfred. The introduction and accompanying music is provided by Michael Lovett. You can check out his music via his project, Nazca Lines, or catch him as a longtime contributor to the band Metronomy. All other music is provided by a longtime collaborator of my own, Sean Seymour, and his project entitled Lullatone. Please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and leave a review and a rating as well. You can check out more studio visit images at soundandvisionpodcast.com, and you can find out more about my own work at paintchanger.com. I currently have a show at Maho Kubota Gallery in Tokyo, and have an upcoming solo show at my New York City representing gallery, a Meringer McHenry Yoe Gallery. Thanks so much for listening and supporting the podcast, which tries to share the lives of creative people through their most casual voice. Stay creative.